Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at the investment opportunities in Asian stock markets, where the potential risks may lie, and what to consider when investing across the region. With Maya Welford, behavioural finance expert, Rob Mansell, senior investment manager, and Sean Markovitz, investment strategist. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Word on the Street. Today, we're thinking about the opportunities in Asian stock markets, where the potential risks may lie, and key points to consider when investing across the region. For this, I'm joined by Rob Mansell, Senior Investment Manager, and Sean Markowitz, Investment Strategist. As usual, let's start with a market update. Sean, what's the latest? So this week, UK wage growth accelerated further by 7.8% in the last 12 months. And this was a large surprise for investors. It also reflected big revisions to data in previous months. And it's also important to note that this already reflects a one-off 10% rise in the national minimum wage, plus some increases in public sector wages. Traders ramped up bets on further Bank of England hikes, and the pound strengthened slightly after that news. We also learned that UK headline inflation decelerated, although the core measure that strips out the volatile components remained at a sticky 6.9%. Now, that's going to be a concern to the Bank of England, as that's part of the inflation that is most closely linked to the domestic economy. But we think looking ahead, there have been meaningful declines in producer input and output costs, which tend to lead the official consumer price indices, particularly for core goods. Um, And expectations for the Bank of England are already quite high at 6%. If you look at the latest growth measures, um, the PMI survey data, that's starting to to roll over. So I think it's fair to say that the the, the bulk of hikes is probably behind us. Now, elsewhere in China, the economic picture continues to deteriorate. The central bank cut their policy rate the most this week since 2020 in an effort to try and provide stimulus to the economy that's clearly failing to stand on its own feet as the property market experiences quite a sharp downturn. And that's got investors worried as China, as many folks know, is is a large contributor to global GDP. And the property market has been, for the last 10 years, a key driver of its economic growth engine. But I think what's different this time, and unlike previous slowdowns in China, is that any stimulus that they are likely to provide is probably going to be more tepid. Um, The debt levels in China are extremely elevated uh, at the corporate and households level. And so policymakers are, are starting to get a bit more worried about creating a boom and bust cycle for the economy. They're looking to try and instill more stability. So I think that's also helped to sap some of the risk appetite for investors globally is, is the kind of spillover effects feed through into the developed world. And then finally, in the US, seems to be one of the few bright spots globally. The latest retail sales data this week surprised once again to the upside. The economy continues to show real resilience. And we also received the minutes from the Fed central bank last meeting showing that policymakers are broadly in agreement that policy is sufficiently restrictive. And the conversation is now moving towards how high rates should be to how for how long. But with growth remaining resilient and them seeing still upside risks to inflation, they have stressed the need to retain some optionality around potential for future rate hikes. So the bond market um, sold off somewhat on that news. And that's, that's it for me. 
Thanks, Sean. That's super helpful. And you mentioned China there in some of your update, and we will be focusing on China in part of this discussion. So thank you. Rob, welcome back to Word on the Street. So we're here today to discuss Asia. What's been making the headlines recently and, and what do managers make of this? Thanks for the welcome, Maya. Uh, so, I mean, to start with a positive, I suppose, uh, artificial intelligence or AI uh, or the rise of it has, you know, been a, a global story this year uh, with investors, you know, really looking to buy uh, anything they can uh, that's been connected to that theme. I think in Asia specifically, you know, that that has been uh, the semiconductor chip makers. Asia houses basically the biggest and probably best, uh, some of the best chip makers in the world. Uh, and all of them have seen their share prices bid up pretty significantly more recently. This effect, you know, has, has certainly been felt more in markets like Taiwan, South Korea, where you know, these technology heavyweights dominate, you know, the kind of equity markets, as opposed to something like Malaysia, Thailand, or the Philippines, where you know, the, this kind of new economy, internet technology kind of company, really, you know, they make up less than 10% of the some of these indices in terms of market cap weight, so much less, less significant impact there. I think in Taiwan specifically, you know, we've seen anything considered a kind of play on AI or artificial intelligence has has, has been bid up a lot by uh, not just, uh, I guess, the, the kind of retail investor crowd, but, but pretty much anyone with a foot in that market. That includes things like the, the basic kind of server box makers, which the prices of some of these companies, despite the fact they're not really doing anything spectacular in terms of you know high margin businesses or that kind of thing, the share prices have doubled or quadrupled you know year to date, and some of these returns are are probably starting to ring a few alarm bells for some of our managers that that we invest with and that we we talk to. Uh, so we've certainly started to hear some of them being a bit more cautious on. Asian technology sector in general, with you know what, what they would call you know first signs of a bubble being the kind of froth seeping into, particularly some of the kind of electric vehicle battery supplier names as well as it has anything to do with the the kind of boom in AI. I think generally what we're hearing from managers is that some of them are getting a bit cautious about chasing stock prices, certainly at these levels, so chasing these kind of technology stocks, uh, and they've really been trimming. Uh, and cutting positions in some of those holdings where valuations are starting to look a bit more stretched. Sean mentioned China. You, you kind of touched on it. I don't think there's been any shortage of negative headlines about China, certainly on on our side of the world and in Western media. And and the market has generally struggled, you know, in China so far this year. And it uh, all that probably makes it easier for for all of us to believe the kind of negative narrative around China and and ignore some of the positives. You know, that's that's kind of the difference when we talk to managers who are either based out there or spend, you know, large parts of their day focusing purely on on China. I would say, you know, more recently, the strongest market in Asia in July was China from a performance perspective. And, and that was really following a, an announcement from uh, Beijing that you know, measures would be kind of introduced to, to try and stimulate consumption, stabilise the property market, help out some of these local governments and, and some of this kind of shadow banking sector and and really kind of get people back investing again. I guess that's a pragmatic step for the for the Chinese government in terms of kind of being a bit more enthusiastic behind the private sector. 
particularly some of the big e-commerce companies in China, which have taken a battering over the last kind of 18 months. And that I think is probably generally something that gets underestimated on our, on our side of the, the world in terms of just, you know, just how resilient Chinese consumers can be, but also how pragmatic the government can be when it needs to be. And maybe, you know, that that's kind of the case today. I think, you know, from speaking to the managers, the Asian equity managers that we talked to, none of that really came as a big surprise to them. You know, the the detail was very sparse, so it was far more kind of uh, just words, I guess, coming from the Chinese government. But, you know, given how heavily some of these stocks got sold down in the months prior to this, it was certainly enough to trigger a big a bigger rebound, particularly in some of these internet and selected technology stock names like the the electric vehicles in particular. Thanks, Rob. That's really, really helpful and comprehensive. And I agree, AI has been a really major focus this year. It seems like everyone's speaking about it in some way or another. And definitely on the headlines piece, when we when we think about um, China and the negative headlines um, this year, it's you know very easy to pay attention just to those negative headlines. Absolutely. You did mention China along other Asian countries. If we focus on China for now, what are some of the opportunities and some of the risks? Yeah. So despite the kind of ongoing negative press and kind of the, I don't know, the end of the world kind of headline seeking comments that you might see, you know, certainly China is not uninvestable, but it, it definitely uh, divides opinions. Right. When we speak to managers about, I guess, what the kind of future holds for investors there, the consensus, if there is one from the managers that we speak to, is that, you know, there are certainly good companies and good investments to be made in China, but you really need to be very selective when choosing which companies make their way into your portfolio. I would say the kind of more negative view that we hear from some some investors is that there are big sectors in China that are state-owned or operated by the government that, that are kind of seen as poor investment opportunity to, you know, whatever reason that they offer lower growth or lower profitability or, you know, the government, uh, the governance is not great. But, but I would say, you know, from speaking to managers on the ground, you know, that while that's certainly true for many of, of the kind of state-owned businesses, there are plenty of exceptions to, to that kind of rule, if you like. And, and indeed, you know, some of these, uh, some of the best long-term investments that some of these managers have made in China have been state-owned companies. And we've probably talked about them before on, on previous uh, Word on the Streets, but, you know, they, they might have big ownership of, of kind of scarce assets, you know, whether that's things in the ground that they can dig up or the kind of more intangible kind of brand power that that some, that, you know, impossible to replicate for other businesses kind of trying to, to kind of take, take market share from them. An example, you know, that we have is one of kind of China's top luxury brands um, that, you know, really has continued to dominate uh, its sector. And, and receives, you know, limited competition and, and really strong government support, and and that uh, remains, you know, kind of an area of interest for a lot of managers. I would say, you know, Sean touched on, I guess, the property sector. Property is a sector in China that has been generally avoided by most equity managers. I would say certainly the ones that we speak to, and that, you know, isn't just a recent phenomenon. That's that's been going on for a while. I think. Uh, a lot of the managers that we speak to would say that most of the private kind of property companies in China are are on their way to going bust, if not already. And, and you know, any recovery in that sector is going to be very tricky, regardless of what the government 
does in terms of stimulus measures that, that Sean kind of mentioned. So, so, yeah, I think, you know, managers aren't, aren't looking there in China as so much, but, you know, more popular trades have been other kind of key strategic sectors like wind turbines or solar panels, where China, I guess, is, is the kind of industry leader now from a global perspective in the production of some of these. Even those over the last couple of years, despite, you know, the tailwinds that you might have expected behind this sector, you know, the, the investment returns from, the, you know, some of these companies has been very poor. So despite the fact that they're, you know, extremely well-run companies, best in their sector with a huge kind of pipeline development, it's just probably down to more, you know, overbuilding or over overcapacity in that industry, which has just meant, you know, for invest, investors, it's been a poor place to, to get returns. Uh, and I guess that's that's been a story in a few sectors, really, where, you know, the growth is there and the potential is there, but the investment returns have not been there. There's probably a view now, I would say, that a more consensus view anyway with our managers that the next leg of growth is coming from consumption in China. Services sector is the biggest sector in China now, not the manufacturing sector. Consumption will, will be a huge and hugely important uh, aspects from for Chinese growth going forward. It will be lumpy, and, and you know it will vary across different areas in China. China is a huge place, very diverse. But you know, I, I would say increasingly the managers that we speak to are focused on you know those you know, some of the sort of select consumer areas in China where you know, there is still that long term growth story, and, and there is good kind of competition between good quality companies and that is going to be an area where probably there's less or lower regulatory risk than in some of the kind of hot sectors uh, in China. Uh, Saying that, you know, policy always remains a key focus in this market, but that's not unique to China, you know, in certainly in Asia and certainly not in emerging markets in general, you know, Policy is always important and government involvement can also be very important. But, but you know, the, the market, stock market tends to get overly preoccupied, I guess, on some of the kind of short term stuff that's going on and probably loses a bit of perspective on the kind of longer term and, and how things wax and wane over the, the longer term. I think the basic message from, from us and from our managers that we speak to is, you know, you've got to stay disciplined and keep focused on your investment process and if that's worked in the past then hopefully that continues to work in the future thanks rob all important points and good for listeners to be mindful of of course there's much more to asia than just china so if we think a bit more broadly now um, at some of the other asian countries where are the opportunities and how are our portfolios positioned yeah so the managers that we that we invest in with uh, with more of a focus on growth uh, or you know, kind of higher quality earnings and balance sheets have, have always kind of had significant exposure to technology stocks in Korea and Taiwan. And, and that's a long-term position that they've held because they believe they are among the best kind of companies and stocks in Asia. I, India is obviously, you know, a meaningful part of, of our Asia benchmarks, the indices that we look at. And some of the smaller stock markets from a market perspective, Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, these are, I guess, on the, the radar, but probably have, have really waned in importance from a, from an index perspective. India has a lot of things going for it from a positive perspective, I'd say, demographically, economically, I guess, some of the reforms that the government is pushing through 
uh, it's been a very popular overweight position for many of the kind of growth managers that we speak to and invest with. The the problem, uh, if there is one, for equity investors in India is is the potential and the positives here that that have been widely discussed and kind of more widely understood are at current market valuations starting to look priced in. You know, this is certainly the view that that some of our more value focused managers would take. So, you know, the, the kind of value side that the managers looking for the kind of unloved uh, or forgotten stock that we invest with, and in particularly in our funds, they they currently one of them currently has no exposure at all to India and a significant overweight position in South Korea, but also China for that, that purpose. But in their view, you know, the valuations in Korea are just, you know, incredible. You know, it's a unique market. You can find high quality companies there. They're trading extremely cheap. And and while, you know, they are lower quality than some of, I guess, the more expensive names in India, they're not, they are not low quality companies. Uh, and and they're, you know, they really see value there through the earnings cycle. And if you, if you look at a kind of, structure of the Korean market, investors can get exposures to that structural growth story like technology through some of the the kind of industry leading businesses on a global scale, all which are innovating, improving, expanding and and growing. The ASEAN side of the market, so the kind of Indonesia, Malaysia stuff, is probably less exciting and there isn't too much sexy stuff to talk about. But if managers want to be defensive, these markets can uh, or have historically been quite defensive when markets other markets can get a bit rocky but speaking to you know the managers that, that we talk with if if you do prefer to kind of go the defensive route you may be better off buying the high yielding stocks listed in some of the de- developed asian stock markets like australia thanks rob to wrap up then what are your views and our fund managers views on developed markets versus emerging markets in the context of asia yeah, so from a from a regional kind of I guess geographic perspective, Japan would, would probably sit in the developed market category, but maybe we'll save that for another word on the street. That in Asia, excluding Japan, I think for better or, war, or worse, we've got Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, and Singapore kind of classified uh, by MSCI as the developed stock markets. Yeah, these are all you know mature markets, wealthy economies with kind of good regulation and effective governments to a, to a certain degree, and. Amongst those, the Australian stock market is certainly the biggest and over the long term has been one of the better performing markets, I would say, in, in Asia, particularly on kind of a, I guess, also risk adjusted kind of volatility, you know, volatility as well. The banks in developed Asia is, is probably a popular trade amongst managers. They generally offer good, stable dividend yields, which uh, can certainly be very prized in certain market environments. And, you know, they're they are well-regulated markets, you know, whether that's Australia or Singapore. The other kind of financials that have been popular are insurers and some of the big kind of uh, life insurance companies in Hong Kong. You know, you've got a, an, a, a very attractive kind of proxy for uh, insurance penetration throughout China and rising, you know, insurance penetration, particularly for kind of health and life policies as people get more wealthy in China. But, uh, the flip side of that is that really none of these markets have performed particularly well in the short term. You know, they don't have the AI, the electric vehicles, the technology stocks, and instead, you know, they are mostly kind of kind of solid, steady companies that pay good good dividends. So you know, while 
you may not have the, the, the kind of high growth stocks. There is, you know, high dividends, strong corporate governance, and probably more reasonable valuations that that make some of these developed markets the, the kind of uh, place where managers can continue to find plenty of good long-term investment opportunities and particularly in companies that offer exposure to the to the broader regional growth you know whether that's emerging or developed and probably a bit less governance of political risk than in some of the, the developing markets you know what all that means is that asia is you know it's a very diverse area that that can really offer opportunities whether you are an income focused investor or i don't know contrary value investor or looking for a bargain or you are a growth investor you know there are opportunities across the region for, for everything yeah absolutely and and thank you rob and sean for your time today it's been really interesting to consider asian stock markets and helpful to hear about what's on the minds of our fund managers that's it for another episode of word on the street all investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.